0: just peacemaking. We're taking um, four Sunday evenings to look at this theme and to to kind of roll it out in a developing way as we go, hoping to root it ultimately in some discussion and some questions about what it means for us as Christians to think about peacemaking and a shared future in our community, in our society, in our time. Um, And what we did last week was we we got into this by beginning to think about um, the Sermon on the Mount and the theme of the Kingdom of God Uh, And these are the other three uh, titles uh, that we're going to be looking at on each of the Sunday evenings. And just as a very quick recap, as I said, we were thinking about um, the theme of the kingdom of God and discovered that, for example, in the Apostle Paul's preaching, it was a very key theme. Um, Luke summarizes Paul's ministry uh, in Rome at the end of his uh, book of Acts, Uh, As Paul preaching the kingdom of God at the beginning of the book of Acts you discover that over the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension Acts Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus met with the disciples many times, teaching them about the kingdom of God and of course it's something that when we go into the gospels at the very beginning we find this is the message that Jesus is preaching and whether it's Matthew Luke or Mark um, it's very clear it also appears in John not to the same extent but not least in Jesus encounter with Nicodemus. Uh, that Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God. And we were trying to say, well, what is, how can we conceive of this? Was this an expectation about the Romans being kicked out and a a new government established within Israel at that particular time? And the way to think about the kingdom of God um, is to think in terms of God's rule. Um, Someone was chatting with me during the week on this and saying they prefer the word reign. So whether you like God's rule or God's reign... Uh, as king. That's the kind of way to think about what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God. Um, And it seems that um, when we get to the stage of the the Gospels, what we're given in the Gospels, particularly Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke, is an account of not just Jesus' teaching uh, and preaching, but Jesus' life embodying Demonstrating the values of this kingdom and the way in which it works. So Jesus is the, the teacher, the model, the ambassador, and the forerunner of what it means, what it looks like to live uh, under God's rule, in God's reign. And his coming changes everything. His life, death, and resurrection declare that God is king and that God rules. And we could say that the uh, whole ministry of Jesus the life of Jesus, is God at work making his rule known through Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, and through the people called to follow us disciples of Jesus and through his victorious death and resurrection. And we talked a little bit about too how sometimes it's, it's very easy for us to skip this and very easy for us to jump very quickly from Jesus' birth to Jesus' death and, and forget about the whole section that there is there in the middle, what um, Tom Wright calls the missing middle And we thought a bit about that last week as well. So we thought about the Sermon on the Mount, um, describing it as Jesus explaining to his disciples the way things work under God's rule. And he calls people together and his disciples together. And he says that the blessed are. Um, God's approval rests upon. This is the kind of situation, people, attitude, disposition, which, which God favors. Uh, And that's the idea of the beatitude, a a formal way of saying that. So God's approval rests upon the poor in spirit, not upon the proud and the haughty. Uh, And Jesus is demonstrating in this. But the whole of the Sermon on the Mount seems to reflect this. And very often when we read through the Sermon on the Mount, we hear this kind of twofold thing going on. Um, You hear it sometimes where Jesus says, uh, you have heard it says, but I say to you. Um, But we were thinking about how one commentator in particular argues that it's actually a threefold pattern the whole way through the Sermon on the Mount. Not just a two, you know, you have heard, but I say. But it's actually, you have heard, but I say, and let me explain to you the implications, so go and do. And there are are kind of three sections to this. So here's an an illustration of it, where Jesus says... um, Uh, You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders be liable to judgment. But I say to you, and Jesus then explains where this leads, uh, where this takes us. And then he's very clear. So here's what you do about it. Here's what you do that is different. And the commentator who was working in this kind of stuff puts it this way. Um, He said the first part of that statement is like Jesus saying, this is the traditional way of doing things now. This is the traditional pious way of thinking. I'm saying to you, I'm explaining to you where this takes you. And generally this takes you on a kind of vicious cycle if you follow this. So here's something you can do which will transform the situation. Here's what I expect those who live under God's reign, God's rule to do to transform the situation. Hence this term, transforming initiatives. And you see it throughout the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, not just in those particular sayings, you know, where... Uh, you have the words you have heard I say. But as you work through most of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you have this pattern. So it comes up in this kind of thing, this kind of thing as well. I shouldn't point at that. Sure, I shouldn't. That makes no sense to you at all. It comes up in this kind of thing as well, you know, where no one can serve two masters because it just gets into a vicious cycle. You'll hate one um, and love the other. You can't serve God and money. So what do you do about it? So the whole of the Sermon on the Mount seems to work in this kind of way, where Jesus is not simply setting out nice ideas. He's not just setting, setting out ideals, he's actually setting out the practice of living under God's reign as God's people. And that's what seems to be going on there. Um, if you want, I know this; you can't see this, but uh, you can have it if you want it. Uh, the guy who, who has done the work on this argues that there are 14 of these transformational initiatives throughout the Sermon on the Mount. So you've got them all there, now you understand it, and we'll move quickly on. Anyway, Jesus... Seems to be teaching us that living under God's rule or God's reign works like this. You take the initiative to change situations in keeping with those things which God approves. And that's the kind of theme that we were thinking about last week. Setting the scene for the question about why should we care about what happens in our world? Why should we care about what happens in Belfast? So tonight what I want to do is to take it a step further. It may seem a bit odd, but the whole idea of this evening is to ask, okay... Before we think about the world out there, before we think about what's happening in Syria and all these other places, and before we even think about what's happening in Belfast, what happens in here? How might this kind of thinking work itself out in our life together as Christians within the life of the church? And my title for this evening is The Christian Vocation of Incarnational Discipleship and Why Christians Should Be Signing Up to Covenant Relationships Instead of Statements of Faith. And when I introduced this some weeks ago, I did make the point that uh, there is a massive disclaimer here that the leadership and members of this church take no responsibility whatsoever uh, for what I'm about to say, and um, you may wish to completely disagree with me. Let me ask you a question. What's the difference between vocational training and training for a profession? What's the difference between vocational training and training for a profession? Well, I went to the dictionary. I thought I had a reasonable kind of idea in my head about vocation and professions and things. And the the dictionaries say things like this. Um, A vocation is the work in which a person is employed, whereas a profession is an occupation requiring specialised knowledge and often long and intensive academic preparation. Now, some people are very precious about the fact that they have a profession. Um, And some unions... Trade unions, professional societies and organisations, some of them don't even like to be called a trade union really, uh, get quite precious about this kind of thing. No, it's, it's not just a job, it's a profession and we are specialised and we have trained long and hard to do this. Now, you may have come across that. People talk about the teaching profession, but, of course, teachers would never be precious about the teaching profession. I mean, that that just would never happen. People talk about the medical profession, and we know they're just sweetness and light, those guys. You know, they, they would never get uppity about their position in life and all the rest of it. Or the legal profession. Heaven forbid that we ever say anything about the legal profession. But there is this sense that there is vocational training. We have vocational colleges, further education colleges and all sorts of names, and we have higher education And the professions tend to train in the higher education and the rest of us go to the vocational colleges. Well, the other thing that's really interesting about this vocation profession thing is that when you go to the dictionaries, this whole thing about work, about jobs, is very much secondary. The first definition, I think, in every dictionary that I went to has religious overtones because these words find their home and their use much more traditionally in the religious context than in the secular context. And so they summarize it like this, the idea of a summons or strong inclination to a particular state or course of action, especially a divine calling to the religious life. And you have this sense of vocation and people having a religious vocation or entering the priesthood or an order. And profession, interestingly, is the act of openly declaring or publicly claiming a belief, a faith, or an opinion. So you have these two religious themes to these two words which is why it's really helpful and useful I think for us to think a bit about them this evening but there is a difference just as people want to try and make a difference between professions and vocations or jobs there's a difference in these two words and the difference lies of course in the the call to action within vocation Whereas profession may be more about professing what you believe, articulating what you believe, declaring what you believe. And what I want to say is that I think that generally as evangelicals, uh, we are much stronger on the profession end than the vocation end. It matters to us more that people profess faith in Jesus Christ than that they live faith in Jesus Christ. We count it more important. We make judgments on the basis of people's profession of faith and their doctrine and all the rest of it, than we do on necessarily on the way in which they live or the way in which we live together. Now, that's the statement I'm throwing out. We will be having a discussion about this for anybody that's interested in the hall afterwards, so if you think I'm really going off track here, come in and put me right. That would just be wonderful. And what I want to do this evening is simply to suggest that we need to redress the balance here and that we need to bring into our own life, together as communities, uh, the, the balance between... Vocation and the call to live and to live out together the Christian uh, walk and the following of Jesus, and not always be obsessed about the profession. Of course, what I'm saying is hostage to fortune. It could be interpreted in all kinds of ways, but that's fine. I did come across this slide, which I thought was great. Vocational skin, skills are in high demand today. And uh, I, was, I was looking at this as uh, a college, I think, in the States, which has all of these. And I was so intrigued. And I, I, One thing I had never come across before was uh, cosmetology. Uh, I've come across cosmeto- cosmology before. And I was sort of thinking, well, Ken, if you ever get kicked out of Queens or something, you can't do that. You could always do cosmetology. Get yourself a pair of cur- hair curlers, hair tongs, and some nail varnish and create a new life. No, don't, don't bother, Ken. No, just <laughs> stick with looking at the stars. No, that, that's, that, that's fine. But when we think about vocation, we think about skills. We think about learning skills which can be applied, not just ideas, um, not just knowledge about law or knowledge uh, about other aspects of educational theory. Skills are critical to vocation. And it seems to me that that's one of the things we need to be thinking about. What are the skills that we need and how do we demonstrate a skill in the vocation of following Jesus as disciples? And this incarnational thing, I think, is interesting as well. Why use this term incarnational discipleship? Well, I have a reason for it, and it's simply this. um, That ever since Jesus was here amongst us on earth, there's been debate amongst people uh, about who Jesus really was, what Jesus really was, if I can put it that way. Some people have said that, you know, he was all God. You can't do the miracles he did. You can't know the future the way he knew it. You can't rise from the dead the way he did if you're just If you're really human, if you're human, you know, he he appeared to be human. He was really all God. Other people took the other end and said, well, actually, he was all man. And the bits that the supernatural bits were bits that God did. And there's been these two factions which in the early church were warring the peace out. And they still emerge from time to time today uh, in, in debates and discussion. But incarnation is actually saying that Jesus is fully both. And the doctrine of the Incarnation is explaining this and discussing this. It's not that he was 50% God and 50% man and happened to work to create 100%